How are we this morning? We good? Good to be here today. But I imagine some of you are a little nervous though. Like when you walked in, maybe you saw that our, um, our value this week is exceedingly generous. Some of you like read that in the bulletin and you're like, Martha, we're not in church quite yet. Maybe we could kind of back down the stairs. Mason's going to talk to us today about our money and our assets and how much he wants them. Let's get out of here. I want to uh, assure you that this message this morning is not about our needs here and how much we want you to search your heart so that you can give uh, to um, our needs here. This is not going to be like a Good Friday appeal this morning. We don't have any uh, building projects on the go or anything like that. And you know what? Even if we did, that wouldn't be a bad thing. That would be okay. But as you know, we're in a values series uh, this at the moment. And what we're looking at uh, is values that we want to surround uh, our hearts with and values that we want to kind of pin to the wall and say, these things help us, these, these biblical principles that we get out of uh, reading the Bible and life with God uh, uh, help us to um, live as Christ has called us to live, help us to be effective in, in the world, in Chelsea and, and whatever, in, in building God's church and help us to be people who ultimately our lives are uh, given to in service of the glory of God. And we're not about ourselves, but we're about the God who, who has called us into relationship with him. And, that, and that's, that's our go. That's what we want to do. So what I'm hoping today is that uh, we can come away with um, biblical principle, if you like, uh, that underpins and stirs our affections for being uh, exceedingly generous people, just as a just as a value, just as a as a principle of life. The first thing that we can we've got to kind of do whenever whenever we're kind of thinking about any kind of value uh, is that it, is that it begins with God, and generosity is no different. Generosity begins with God. We are all stewards of God's original generosity to us. Um, if you've got your Bibles there, kind of flick open quickly. You're not going to be able to read it. I'm not going to read it all. But right there in Genesis 1 and 2, we see that God made everything. Before he spoke, there was only God. First line of our scriptures is, in the beginning, God that's just a statement of reality. That's just a statement of fact. Okay, There was nothing else existing. So all that there is, all that we see, all that we are, all that we have is because God decided to share himself, to go public, if you like. That we might share in him, that his glory might be displayed in the world. He made the cosmos and everything in it. And then what we see is God placed... Uh, humanity, not just as another aspect of creation. If you read the rhythm, like God begins to speak and there's this rhythm and he's creating uh, in kinds and he's creating landscapes and things like that and it's in their kind and, and stuff like that. And it's all this rhythm. And then there's this pause and he gets to humanity and he stops and he says, let's create mankind in my image. It's completely distinct. It's not like the animals. 
Uh, it hasn't emanated out of the earth as such, although you've got this picture in Genesis 2 of God uh, making man out of the dirt, but in the image of God. And as such, we are to be the image bearer of God, ambassadors and uh, viceroys, stewards is the implication, stewards of creation. In Genesis 1.26, we see that God creates us and then blesses us into this environment. It's yours. Go and subdue it. Go and tend it. I'm giving it to you. And if we read in Genesis 2.15, we see that God places uh, mankind into the garden to, to work it, to keep it, to cultivate it, to tend it, to push out the, bat, the borders of this, this experience here, this gift of this garden, to, to push it out and that it would be a keep going, keep creeping out. That we might proclaim, that we might replicate the name of God to all the corners of the earth as we cultivate and tend in his name, as we take all that he's given us, every good gift, and we just kind of push out in his name. That he might be glorified, that his name might be seen in us through how we use his stuff to make him known in the world. That's straight out of the gate. That's Genesis. God says things like, it's yours, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over all things. He says things like, behold, I give you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, every tree with seed in it, so that you will have food. This is a generous God giving to us. God says things like, it's not good for man to be alone. He is a partner who, who will complement you in every way and do life with you. Gift, gift, gift. And you want to know something? Even when we took these gifts and we misused them, and we and we kind of we kind of used them for our own selfishness rather than for the glory of God, God still comes and puts a framework in place, gifts us a framework that we might still be in relationship with Him, gift after gift after gift. Now, if you've been coming to this uh, value series regularly. You will be like every week you do this, Mason, every single week. I think we've begun in Genesis every week. Like I don't even know why I come to the first five minutes of your sermon. I could probably repeat it word for word. Genesis, God did this. That's because that's where Christians begin with everything. We begin with God. We begin with the way God moves towards us, the way God initiates towards us, and our lives are lived out of that. Our lives are lived before God. That's just how it is. And Christians are people who have come to realize this. They've had their hearts changed. So when it comes to being generous, we start with God. That's the starting point. Everything is a gift from God to be used and enjoyed as he designed for his glory and our joy. It's a strange thing. Pursuing the glory of God ultimately leads to our joy because we were created to, to work like that. That's the starting point. So as Christians, here's the thing. We've got to get the notion out of our head that, that, we, that we own stuff. We might buy stuff. We might work for stuff. We might inherit stuff. We might generate some income. We might even have bank accounts, you know, with our names on them. But in the economy of God, these are gifts to us to be stewarded for his glory, for his purposes. We're, we're still supposed to be cultivating and pushing out 
the name of God into all the earth. That hasn't changed. The reality of it is, you and I have nothing that God has not allowed us to have. Paul knows this. This, this is the theology that underpins this whole chapter. Um, it's, it's, it's the theology that underpins what he says in verses 10 there, where he's talking about God being the great provider. God, God providing us and enriching us in every way. God is the great provider who supplies the seeds and the things that we need for life. God supplies the necessities, the, the basic necessities for life. That's what he does. That's the picture here. At times we can lose sight of this. That uh, what we have ultimately began with God, that, that it comes from God. And that God has not asked us to kind of selfishly guard what we have, but rather to freely make it available for his purposes. Have you ever, this is like if you're a parent, um, even if you've not, you've watched this phenomenon, uh, if you've got kids, you ever brought a treat for your kids, you know, like a, I don't know, Mars bar and ice cream? You kind of give it to your kids and they're kind of smashing this thing down, just inhaling it, and you think, oh, I wouldn't mind a bite of that before it kind of vanishes before my eyes. And you say something like, hey, can I have a bite of your ice cream or your Mars bar? And they say, no, it's mine. And you think, are you kidding me? What makes that yours? What makes you think it's yours? And they go, well, you gave it to me. You go, yeah, I gave it to you. You had nothing. And then I gave you a Mars bar. What makes you think I can't just take that back off you and eat it myself? I gave you that Mars bar for your joy, not for you to covet and keep and, and do these things. And I'm like, give me that Mars bar and I eat it myself. There you go. That's how I roll. But that's not how God rolls. God's not a snatcher. God's a reminder. And he likes to remind us that all things come from him. And that's what is happening in this passage. All things come from God. My kids often will say stuff like, Hey, Dad, can I have 10 bucks or $20? And I'll say, Yeah, no worries. Sure, here you go. Hang on. What do you want that for? It's like, Oh, it's your birthday on Wednesday. You're going to buy me a present with my own money and then give it back to me? This is the kind of thinking that we have when we think we can do stuff, own stuff, and then bring it back to God and go, look what I got for you. Uh. We cannot put God in our debt. There is nothing that you can kind of get that God needs. He, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He gives us stuff, not because he, 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 he needs it back somehow, but for us to use for his service and his purposes for his glory. It's all God's. That's the reality. We are not the owners of anything. We are merely stewards and receivers of God's generosity to us. And that's what's laced throughout this passage in 2 Corinthians 9, 6-15 is God is the good giver. God is the blesser. God gives, not so that we can have stuff, but so that we can image him in the world and, and be generous with what he's given us. That's the reality that lies behind this doxology at the end of this passage in, in verse 15. We see there, thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift. God's gift. What is he talking about? This whole passage has been about... Um, 
how we are to be generous. But what Paul is doing is reminding us of our experience of God's grace that causes a shift in our hearts to be exceedingly generous towards others. God's grace experienced in our hearts, experienced in our lives, he's giving grace towards us, allows us to kind of un kind of unclench our fists around our stuff. So we're going to let go of the Mars bar and the ice cream and open our hands up to be generous. Interesting fact, fact time. This is the only uh, use of the word inexpressible found anywhere in ancient Greek literature. You can go from Homer, and depending on your dating from about 1100 to 800 BC, all the way through to Paul's writing, and you will not find this word anywhere apart from Paul's use of it right here. Paul had to make up a word to describe the generosity of God because there just wasn't one to cover it. It didn't exist. And here's the thing. When he comes up with a word, he goes, well, how am I going to describe the generosity of God? Well, uh, you can't. It's, it's indescribable. It's inexpressible. It can't be put into words. But you can see this gift. You can feel this gift. That's what Paul has in mind here. He's not really referring back to the material things that God gives us as he talks to these Corinthians. We have been blessed by God through him giving his son to us who gave his life for ours that we might have new life with God. The wide open hands of Jesus on the cross and the eternal life from which God has achieved for us. That's this inexpressible gift. That's been Paul's message to the Corinthians all the way through this letter and up to this point where he wants to talk about, well, what are we going to do in response? That's how we come to the conversation of generosity. God owns everything. That's what the psalmist agrees with you in Psalm 24. He says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Like, what are you going to give God? All that you own? Your life? He's, he owns it all. It's his. Take it whenever he wants. And God holds nothing back from us. We saw that in creation. It's just kind of laid on. And then we see it in the sending of his son. The gospels all tell us that Christ has come to be our substitute, bearing the wrath of God towards sin and being our savior and raising us to life. This is God's good gifts to us. Not that we deserve them. And then what we see as we read through Acts, we see that he sends the gift of his Holy Spirit to us that we might live and be led in fullness of life. Like there's just no end to what God will do for us. When we consider God in both his work of creation and indeed his subsequent work of redemption and sanctification and, and just blessing us, we see that God is a God of abundant, lavish generosity. He's not stingy. He's not half-hearted or conservative. God is ridiculously generous towards us. He is inexpressibly generous towards us. So whenever we come to this question about why we should be people who are exceedingly generous, it's not because we need money here. It's because we want to image 
to a world a generous God, what he's like, what he won't hold back. It's because we are the recipients and of his grace to us and his sustained grace to us in our lives. It's as James said in James 1.17, from whom, from God, all good and perfect gifts come. And Paul is simply asking us uh, with this little moment to be consistent with the DNA of a regenerate heart that God gives us through his gifts, through, through the giving of his spirit, through the giving of his son, to be consistent with that in response to that. Earlier in the, chap- earlier in the, in the letter, in chapter 8, 9, Paul has said, For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, like there was nothing he didn't have. He owns the universe. He made it. He owns it. He sustains it. There's nothing yet for your sakes became poor, became a penniless preacher, so that you by his poverty might become rich. This is the example God has given us of what it's like to be exceedingly generous. Through his poverty, we inherit the kingdom of God. Everything. Generosity and giving begins with God, and you will never outgive him. The passage that we've had read to us today is a description of the heart of someone who has realized that they that, that they have a God who is inexpressibly generous. Paul calls this person a cheerful giver. God's grace to us changes the makeup of our heart so that our capacity to be generous is not through gritted teeth, not through begrudging duty, but rather through a free-flowing act of joy. It comes from a place of joy, a cheerful giver, someone who just kind of gives out of the experience of being given to. This is not related to your capacity to give it's not about how much money you have or what you don't have it's about has your heart has your heart been transformed has it been changed by an encounter with god and if so what what's going on in your life the image that paul employs is that of a farmer sowing seed it's 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 like a proverb right off the top of this uh section here at this is the point whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully it's a it's a proverb um, it's not a law. We have to understand that. This is not cause and effect. This is all things being equal. You know, as you, as you look around, all things being equal, uh, the, the, if you sow lots of seed, you get lots of seed back. If you sow a little bit of seed, you get a little harvest back. Paul is not putting in place here a law for the church. He is telling us about a proverb, a, 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 a general... Um, understanding of things but the point of this proverb is not about how much but about the mode do you see about how you approach it do you approach being generous in a stingy way or do you approach it just in a a lavish kind of way Uh, that's what's going on Paul is what we've done is we've kind of we've dropped into this conversation that Paul is having between chapters 8 and 9 we've kind of dropped into the middle of it but Paul has been talking to the to the Corinthians about um being generous about his coming and he's going to he's going to receive the gift 
uh, this offering that they're, that they're um, uh, taking for the Jews in Jerusalem. Cor- Corinth is a Gentile church. And Paul's turning up and he wants to get uh, some, some giving from these guys to go down and give to the Jewish church in Jerusalem. You've got to understand what's going on here. This, this is kind of ridiculous. In first century uh, culture, the idea of generosity was that you were generous to your immediate family. Like you can be generous to your son uh, or, or to, to your family because you know what that does? That kind of makes good for, the, for, the, for your family, for the ongoing of your name and your place in society. So you're generous to the, to the immediate context of your family. Never are you generous kind of outside of that. The idea that you would be generous to another race of people is ridiculously off the chain stupid. It doesn't happen. It's countercultural, counterproductive. No one does it. And what Paul's saying to this church is this is the kind of hearts you guys now have. You're going to give generously, not to someone in your family, in your immediate context, not to someone even in your race, but to the Jews over there in Jerusalem who you hate. But because God has so worked in your lives, you are now cheerful givers, hilarious, the word is hilarity, just crazy givers. You give. And Paul goes in previously, he's like, you know, the Macedonians have been at this. Even in their poverty, they've been at this. They've been setting aside stuff to give. Those Gentile Christians in Macedonia have been setting aside stuff to give to the, to the Jews in Jerusalem who have become Christians. And in becoming Christians, they've been exiled from their religious place in life, from their families. They cannot get work. There's a famine going on in, in, in Palestine, so they can't eat. They are just completely run down with poverty. Why? Because of their faith in Christ. They've come to know him. And now what we're saying is the church is a completely different kind of system and regime to everything on the earth. We are exceedingly generous. We give across racial lines. We give across um, economic lines. We give across uh, social lines. We give outside of our families to the needy. And when they did, what happened? What happened in this passage when, when, when God's people started to give across normal barriers, across normal lines, their hearts were broken for the needy. What happened? Go to the end of this passage and look, thanksgiving to God. That's the result. Like all the way through the last five or six verses, uh, in every way, to be ex- ex- generous in every way. You'll be enriched to be generous in every way. Uh, verse 11, God will give you stuff, not because he wants, you know, because you were good, cause and effect, so he's going to give you stuff. Like if you, I don't know, you go on TV and you watch Benny Hinn or Joel Olstein, and they'll say, if you sow that seed, God will give you a heap of seeds back. That is words I can't say in church. <laughs> because that's not the heart. That's not the heart of this. The heart of this is that you have been so transformed by God that you are now a generous giver to the people around you. Why? Not, not because you want gain, but because you want the praise of God to resound in the people around you. What happened was, as the Corinthian and the Macedonian churches gave to the people in Jerusalem the praise of God, not just from the saints, not just from the people who were serving God, but from the people around. They looked at the Christian church and said, what gives with this bunch of crazies? 
What makes them think they can just throw away their assets and their resources and not store up? Who knows? There's a famine. These guys are given in the time of a famine. They're not storing anything up. They're just giving it away. What gives? What gives is that they have a God who owns everything and in their confidence of God, they give because their hearts have been transformed because God has held nothing back from them. That's just how the church rolls. That's just how we are. Do you see? That's this passage. I don't know what happened to the rest of my message. But that's it. That really is this passage. There's not much else to say. God comes into the lives of these believers and out of, out of what God has done for them, they give. They don't just give sparingly. They give not to their own destruction, but they do give recklessly. I'll just go back to verse 7 because he's, he's like, each one must give as... He has decided in his heart, not, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now that's what controls this whole passage. God loves a cheerful giver. And what that is, is God loves, God approves of, God's approval is on the person who gives from a transformed heart. They're not giving because the pastor stood up the front of the church and, and, and handed down some kind of really cool, manipulative uh, message with some awesome music behind it. Um, it's not like, you know, when you walk through the supermarkets and you bump into those pop-up stores and there's some dude there with a picture of some little children uh, starving and, and, and they kind of guilt-shame you into giving and then you go away like with uh, giver's regret, like, oh, am I going to do, how am I going to cover this? What Paul is saying is that the person who has encountered God, their hearts have been transformed by generous God, they, they, they sit with God and they say, well, how, what can I do? What can I give? What, what, I, everything is yours. I just want to make it available. I just want to give, do you see? That's what's going on here. It, it, it's, it's not like give everything you got. You don't even see that in the, in the New Testament. You don't see that in, in anything that Jesus does. Like A lot of times people say, you've got to give it all away. You don't have to. you just got to make it Available. Available. That's what happened. Matthew, tax collector, rich, 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 robbed from everybody. He's got a lot of stuff. He gives it back. But then we see the, the language is he gives it all away. But then later on, they're having a party in Matthew's house. So he hasn't given it all away. But what he has done is he's freed it up to be used for God's purposes, for the cultivating of the gospel and the pushing out of God's purposes in the world. And that's what we see in this passage. Uh, flip down uh, if you've got your Bibles open to it. We'll just finish with this. <laughs> just, I don't know what happened. In verse 13, there it says, Out of your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your con- contribution. Out of, the, out of the confession, out of your understanding of the gospel of Christ, that, that God has come and done much for you through Christ and has kind of not held anything back from you and your understanding that God has now regenerated your heart to be different kinds of people. We say... Uh, Freeway Baptist Church, a new way to live. It's because God has enabled us to live counterculturally uh, and differently. Not holding on to our stuff, but making our resources available for His use in His kingdom. Why? Uh, that the gospel might go forward and in the context of this passage, uh, serve the saints, those working in the gospel and, and fervoring the, the good news of God in the world and, and, and feeding people, like meeting the material needs of people. It's not just super spiritual, it's practical. 
That's what's happening uh, in this passage. And then we just go, as we look at all that our hearts have surrendered to God, we keep coming back to, thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift. No matter what we give away, no matter what we do, no how much we kind of hand over or lose, um, didn't go on a holiday, gave the money to, whatever, I don't know how it works, but that's just between you and God. We keep rolling back to the fact that we cannot outgive God. There is nothing he has hold, holds back from us. So at the end of the day, our praise, that's what a doxology is. It's a praise. Praise be to God. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. He's... His generosity towards us.